Good morning, and welcome to worship in the name of the triune God. Grace and peace to you. Today is a little different. If you did not see the announcement over the weekend and you're just tuning in, we have canceled Sunday services and church events for the next two weeks in order to help prevent the spread of illness. As we've been hearing reports and rising concern about the spread of coronavirus, one of the primary recommendations has been to avoid going to places where large groups of people are congregating. And I thought, congregating? We're a congregation! Congregating is like the main thing we do. I'm sorry not to be with you in person for worship this morning, but I am glad to be in worship with you in spirit. During these weeks away from our sanctuary, we are going to try to stay connected in worship through online resources. And while we know this is no replacement for gathering on a Sunday morning, and we miss the love and the fellowship that we share, we hope you will find this space encouraging and meaningful through these times. Although we are used to posting bulletins and sermons on our website, some parts of what we're trying to do here are new to us. I, for one, am not used to preaching a sermon to an empty room. Or at least I don't think that's what I've been doing. So please let us know what works and what doesn't and what would be helpful to you. You might remember that this season of Lent we are working through our series on the characters of the cross, trying to see the cross through the eyes of the people who were there with Jesus. So far, we have heard from Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who handed Jesus over to death on the cross, and from Simon Peter, the disciple who fought for Jesus in the garden and who denied him by firelight. Today, we will hear from another disciple, one who did not turn back from following Jesus when he was arrested, but who followed him to the cross and beyond. So, without further introduction, it is my pleasure to present Mary Magdalene. Where would I be without him? He saved my life. He set me free. He spoke to me as if I mattered. Me. He saw me when all the others only saw my demons. Do you know what it's like when no one will touch you, when no one comes close? Do you know the ache it leaves on your skin, the sting it leaves in your soul? Seven times he told them, be gone. And each time I felt something leave, a chain breaking, until finally... It was just me, and he told me I was loved. He told me I was free. He taught me as his disciple, and he helped me stand tall. There were others like me, women he didn't look down at. In a world that despised us, that tried to take away what little we had, he gave us a kingdom. He showed us how to share the good news of a love that mends every brokenness and forgives every sin a justice that lifts all who are weighed down and sets the captive free. I followed him everywhere, and today, this is where we are. He crossed people who wanted to make him stop. 
I've always known how vicious they could be, but I didn't think they'd do this to him, not him. Even so, even as they beat him, spit on him, and brought him to this horrible place, he stayed true. And somehow, with his arms stretched out on the awful wood of that cross, he never stopped being who he always was, reaching out in love for the whole world and standing for a kingdom that had space for people like me. Even through all this, he stays faithful. So I will too. I will follow you beyond this cross. I will follow you beyond the grave. And I will carry on your love. As we turn to the reading of scripture, let us pray. Holy One, by the power of your Spirit, open our ears to your word that we might be set free to follow you all the days of our life. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our scripture readings are drawn from three places in the gospel according to Luke, picking up different parts of the ministry of Jesus. First comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 19. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Our second reading comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterwards, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve disciples were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. Our final scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 44 and continuing into the 24th chapter, verses 1 and 10. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus 
crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts. But all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching these things. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, who, though a member of the council, had not agreed to their plan and action. He came from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid it in a rock-hewn tomb where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Amen. The other night at Church Street Cafe, somebody asked me what I thought about all this coronavirus stuff. They wanted to know if I, as a pastor, thought that it was a sign of God's judgment. If somehow this pandemic was a modern-day plague sent from God to get people's attention. You know, I could be wrong about a lot of things. I probably am. And I know I shouldn't be dogmatic when it comes to making statements about God's will. There's this great scene in the TV show, The Good Place, which you should totally be watching this week while you're quarantined, where the angel Michael is breaking the news to a person who has just died that none, none of the major world religions got it right. Everybody got it about 5% right, he says, except for this stoner guy in Canada who was on an acid trip back in the 70s one night when his friend asked him, hey, what do you think happens when we die? And he guessed like 96% of it right. So I think about that whenever somebody asks me for my professional pastoral opinion on how to interpret signs from God. 
I could be wrong. I can't pretend we're not playing with mysteries here. But if we are here preaching the good news of Jesus, then for God's sake and for our sake, let's let's take a look at who God is in the ministry of Jesus. Who is the God we see in Jesus? What is that God about? So this, this is what I said to that person at Church Street Cafe last week who wanted to know if I thought God sent COVID-19 as a judgment against the sins of humanity. I said, I know people will have different opinions about all this, but I don't think God is about bringing sickness and harm to people. I look at Jesus and I see a God who's about healing. So today, as we may be confronting a great deal of uncertainty and fear in our world, I want to take a closer look at what God is about in the ministry of Jesus. Our scripture readings trace the ministry of Jesus from that first sermon he preached in his hometown Nazareth, up in Galilee, where he spoke of announcing good news and releasing the captives. And our readings took us on to the day he hung on that cross outside Jerusalem. In the middle there, we hear about some women who started following Jesus in the early days up in Galilee and who followed him all around and all the way to the cross and even beyond the cross to the tomb. The first one we hear about is Mary called Magdalene, whom Jesus had set free from seven demons. We hear about Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward Chusa and Susanna, Mary, the mother of James, and many others. These women had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities, the gospel says. They knew personally the healing grace of Jesus to release captives from the powers that bind them, to bring freedom to those in bondage, to let the oppressed go free. These women were witnesses to the good news of God's kingdom. Let's talk about Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. It's important for us to understand that demonic possession in the ancient world meant being branded a local terror, an outcast. We don't ever hear about the backstory of Mary Magdalene, what her life was like before she was set free by Jesus. There's been a terrible rumor going around the church for the past 1,500 years that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute, but there is no evidence in the New Testament of that. We hear nothing about what her life was like before Jesus set her free. We don't know how she came to be demonized. But we do hear stories of what life is like for people who are. We hear about that man possessed by those demons called Legion, that man who had been bound up with chains and forced to live among the tombs, in dark places under the shadow of death, thrown out, from his community and by his community, 
to rage in the wild like a rabid animal. Demonic possession is the picture of a cruel and brutal twisting of all that's good about the created order. It's relationships broken in every way, a person cast out by their family and friends, a person unable to find welcome or rest anywhere in this world, a person unable to live at peace with themselves. We human beings are made up of our relationships, our relationships with the world, with others, with ourselves, and when all those relationships get beaten, broken, twisted, it's like being sick from the core of our being and in our whole existence. But then, Jesus brings healing. His ministry is about writing all our relationships, putting right our relationships with the world, with others, and with ourselves. He puts them right again, or maybe for the first time. He brings us into life-giving relationship with the world, where it's no longer a dark and cruel place, but one where all around us and in everything we see life pulsing with potential for light and for grace. Jesus brings healing and wholeness to our relationships with each other. He brings peace where we bring a sword. We saw that with Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane last week. Jesus brings love and forgiveness where we bring hatred and sin as he forgives those who crucify him. He brings acceptance where we bring rejection. When he meets Mary Magdalene, Jesus does not cast out this one who is possessed by demons, demonized. He does not reject Mary from holy community. He doesn't cast her out. He accepts her and casts out the demons. He sets her free from those monsters that tried for so long to possess her. And in that, he writes Mary's relationship with herself, teaching her she is no one's possession, but that she is worth so much more than any power could hope to possess, because she is worthy only of love. My song is love unknown, says the hymn my Savior's love to me, love to the loveless shown, that they might lovely be. We hear so many stories of victims of domestic violence who do not know how to leave their abusers. If you're looking for a way to think about demonic possession in our world today, there are lots of ways, but you can start here so often, the brutal and twisted psychology of abuse has to do with the way abuse teaches people to see themselves as deserving of abuse, as objects to be possessed, things to be wounded. 
persuading people that they have no power of their own, no dignity to be defended, no will to escape. But these are lies, and demons deal in lies. Jesus says to the ones the demons try to possess, you are a child of the Most High God and the property of no man. You are made for life, for goodness, for joy, for love, and you deserve nothing less. You are free. We don't know the nature of those seven demons, but we know Jesus set Mary Magdalene free from them. And then we know how she responded. She followed Jesus, the one who healed her and saved her, along with many other women who had also been healed. This is one of the scandals of Jesus in his time, that in addition to the 12 male disciples, he had followers, disciples, who were women. And, we should note, the Gospel of Luke tells us that this group of women not only followed Jesus as disciples, but also provided for his ministry out of their resources. I'm not sure we ever hear that the male disciples ever provided much of anything. (laughs) These women are not just tagging along as second-class followers. They have a stake in this movement. They are providing for it. What we hear from the Gospel of Luke is that this group of women, Mary Magdalene, always named first among them, was witness to the whole of Jesus' life and ministry. They were with him for his teaching the good news throughout the cities and villages of Galilee. And they went with him all the way to the cross, where the twelve disciples are nowhere to be seen. These women, who had come with Jesus from Galilee, were there for all of it, for his death, his burial, and even his resurrection. According to all of the Gospels, Mary Magdalene is the first eyewitness of the empty tomb and the risen Jesus. All of this, by the way, are the qualifications of an apostle. If you were there for the whole ministry of Jesus from start to end, that makes you an apostle. And friends, Mary Magdalene fits the bill. As the first eyewitness of the risen Jesus, she is the first person sent to preach resurrection faith, the apostolic faith. The Lord is risen, she says. She is the apostle sent to the apostles. Though she was not numbered among the twelve apostles by the early church, she is recognized by many traditions to be of equal status. She's always named first among the women who are listed as followers of Jesus. She is a towering figure in the Gospels and the earliest movement of Christianity. Some scholars have even pointed out that the name Magdalene might not refer to her city of origin. There is not any ancient evidence of a city called Magdala, even though legend has identified a site on the coast of Galilee today. You can go there. There's no ancient evidence of it, though. So some scholars think that Magdalene might really be a nickname, a play on words that means the tower.
the tower, suggesting, as one scholar puts it, Mary's towering role in the band of Jesus' disciples and the honor they secretly accorded her. Women were leaders in the early Christian movement, Mary Magdalene towering first among them. That, friends, is a scandal in the ancient world. There's this ancient letter that we have from about 70 years after the ministry of Jesus. It's one of the earliest pieces of evidence of the early church outside the New Testament. It's written, not by a Christian, but by a Roman governor named Pliny the Younger. There was, if you're interested, a Pliny the Elder. He was fascinated by geologic activity, earthquakes, and volcanoes. He got a little too close to Mount Vesuvius just when it was getting interesting, and we don't really hear much from him again. Anyhow, so Pliny the Younger was a Roman governor in modern-day Turkey, and he's writing to the emperor because he's arrested these people called Christians, and he doesn't know what he's supposed to do with them. He's asking for a standard operating procedure for these people he doesn't understand, but that he knows are dangerous. The people he's got in custody, he says, are two female slaves who are called deacons. That's women's ordination in less than a hundred years from Pentecost. And they're not just women, they're slaves. In the ancient world, that is double trouble. For a Roman governor like Pliny, the idea that people like this would be elevated to a place of leadership says something dangerous. These people have been taught their whole lives that they are and should always be the lowest of the low. Not only women, but slaves they're supposed to be owned and possessed by a master, owned and possessed from birth by their father, owned and possessed in marriage by a husband. They're supposed to be on the bottom, but here they are on top, possessed by no one. What on earth has given them that idea? And what's it mean for the men in power. Jesus says he comes to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, and to let the oppressed go free. That's how he defines what God's kingdom is about, and that's what he's preaching. Mary Magdalene gets it. She gets it. I know she gets it because the cross can't scare her away. She's there. And there's no one more powerful than someone who's not afraid anymore. The centurions with their spears and swords can't scare her away. And the grave can't scare her away because she is there. And she's still there on the third day. That is resurrection faith. That is faith in the kingdom of God. Faith that the good news of Jesus means to set this world free from fear, to heal us from every kind of brokenness, and to set 
every person free from every demon. When I see Mary Magdalene there at the tomb on the third day, the first day of the week, Sunday morning, I see someone who's ready to follow Jesus into the future, to carry on his message of God's kingdom beyond the darkness of this grave, because she is free. She is a witness of the good news, a saint calling us ever onward in the ministry of setting relationships right, making people whole, being peacemakers and healers. Through her eyes, we learn to see ourselves and everyone else in this world as people who are worthy of love. Oh, Mary Magdalene, you strong tower. She's the disciple I want to be when I grow up. Friends, what is our God about? When I hear someone ask if I think God sent this pandemic or that tornado, when I hear people asking if I think God is getting ready for judgment and trying to get our attention by bringing harm to this world, harm to vulnerable people, it makes me wonder what we think of our Creator and our Redeemer, the one we call the lover of our soul. Jesus sets us free from all kinds of captivity, all sorts of demons, all kinds of demonization, all sorts of ways that demons try to possess and abuse. Let us not forget the spiritual captivity of bad theology, theology that would tell people God wants to harm them. Let us remember that God so loved the world that he sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save it. The God we see in Jesus, the God that Mary Magdalene was not afraid to follow beyond the cross and beyond the grave, is a God who sets the captive free, who sets us right with each other and with this world and with ourselves, who heals us through the power of love. That is the Jesus who stands ready to save us this day, saying, You, child of God, are free. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Because we're not together in the sanctuary today, I also want to take this opportunity not only to share the good news of the gospel, but also to pray for us. And I want you to know that wherever you are and whatever you're facing, I'm here if you want to talk more and to pray together. And so, in the Spirit, let us pray. Lord, you set the captive free and restore sight to the blind. Help 
us to see how you are alive and at work in the world today. Give us the courage to face the demons that try to bind and possess, and give us the power to find freedom through the Holy Spirit. Guide all the medical professionals and providers around this country and around the world who are working as healers today. Give them the wisdom, the insight, and the resources to heal the body and compassion to support the soul. Lift up all who are bowed down this day under the weight of anxiety and fear. Lift up all who are beaten down this day under the weight of abuse and every kind of oppression. And help us, Lord, to be so filled with your steadfast love that we might stand with you at every cross, to stand up with you for every person who is not free this day or who feels like they are less than they are, to stand up for this world when harm is done to it and to stand up for ourselves when we forget how much you have made us for. All this and more we pray in the power and the unity of the Holy Spirit and through Jesus as he has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, church family, receive now these words of benediction. Go out into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold fast to what is good. Return no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all people. And may we love and serve the Lord our God, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.